we actually didn't. So we have an ener an energy bar, uh, the impact bar, but we actually wanted to start with ramen noodles um, because we thought there's a ton of nutrients in spirulina. You know, starving university students eating on a budget eat ramen noodles, and there's absolutely no nutritional value in them. If we can welcome to those, how I think a great idea. A podcast um, where we cut the noise and learn step for step strategies entrepreneurs use to grow. I'm your host, Emily Deneen, and I'm lucky to be joined by Alessandra Amato, the co-founder of Algae. I'm excited to learn about her company and her unique experience as a young entrepreneur. So my name is Alessandra. I'm the co-founder of Algae, and at Algae, we create delicious and purpose-driven food products centered around spirulina algae. I actually read the article Mato wrote about you. Um, and one of the questions that I had, just a personal question, is what what exactly does that taste like? Could you describe that? Yeah, um, that's a that's a pretty common question that we get. So spirulina algae on its own uh, doesn't taste very very good. Uh, I will be the first to admit the it it dries as a fine powder, so it grows in pools and it dries as a fine powder. I mean the fine powder definitely does not is not the most appealing thing. It has a very, to put it nicely, a very umami earthy flavor, um, kind of like a swamp. Um, so not the most appealing flavor. So what we've done in a big part of our company ethos is, is really about creating great tasting products um, because we know that taste is the number one priority for, for most consumers. So we've spent a lot of time playing around with different flavors, different combinations of ingredients, different proportions to really create flavors that that taste good that people actually want to eat and want to come back for more so we have uh our first flavor that's launching soon is, is the classic um and it has a date base with sunflower seeds so it's a bit of a creamy um umami um flavor it's a little bit sweet from the dates um but it it's very hard to describe that taste because there really isn't like a specific flavor um and then we have a chocolate flavor as well uh and it's with uh cocoa powder and cacao nibs and that one is it's less of a sweet chocolate and it's more of like a rich dark chocolate flavor not so bitter but that rich flavor that chocolate typically has um, and that's really what you taste and you don't really taste the algae in it that's pretty cool yeah so my uncle's actually a food scientist um, a flavorist and so I was actually talking to him earlier today and we both really appreciate the effort that goes into making that taste good yeah, definitely. <laughs> so since it's definitely a unique thing, how, how do you get people to taste it? Like, how, how do you get people to be willing to taste something that you like that? Yeah, so a lot of testimonial from people who have already tried it and do already enjoy the flavor. So that's a big thing that we have on our website um, and are starting to include more on kind of our social media and marketing plans. Um, but just going to a lot of sampling events and having little tiny bite-sized uh, samples available to people. And we kind of, most people don't know what spirulina is. So we have to kind of explain it to them, explain the benefits for themselves um, and explain the benefits for the planet and kind of convince them that way. And then we say, just try it. It's one little bite. And I would say 99 times out of a hundred people are, are like, oh my gosh, it's delicious. And I did not expect this. And we're like, we, we know. Um, which is why we just offered the little samples. And then from there, that's how people try it and, and keep coming back. 
So from reading about you. One of the big things that I got out of that is that you didn't realize how much you have to work with to make sure a product is sustainable. So with, with regards to that, do you have any tips for filtering through that noise and how, how do you know if a source is reliable in that regard? Uh, yeah, that's like really hard. Honestly, it's something that myself as a consumer, I'm still struggling with um, because it is so hard. There is a lot of greenwashing because of sustainability and climate friendly is such a hot topic right now. There's so much greenwashing and, and, and green marketing um, and a lot of it is not true. I think it's really important if you go on a company's website, a lot of times you'll have a sustainability kind of pledge or something and it, it actually talks about how they're sustainable, what they're doing, what their actions are, because it goes beyond just for us, like yes, our algae is, is sustainable, but beyond that, what about every other aspect of our business? And uh, especially larger corporations that have a sustainability officer, they will really have this, if, if they're true to what they're saying, they will have a very clear and laid out plan and be very transparent about this. Whereas uh, if they're not, so H&M is a good example where they have a sustainability page. And if you actually read it, it's just a lot of fluff. There's not a lot being said. Um, and so just really kind of doing your research, taking the time to do your research and vet that. How, how can you tell if something isn't quite right? Does it? Yeah, I think, I think um, again, from the consumer level, like you really need to, there is a little bit of research that's involved in it because as I said, there's a lot of greenwashes. Every big company is posting things to say, this is how we're being sustainable. And so there is a little bit of research required um, before you can really start understanding what they're actually saying and what it means and if it is effective, um, that you do need to understand a little bit. So I think looking at things like how they're sourcing their materials is obviously really, really important. Um, if they're recycling materials, that's obviously great. But if that's all they're doing, that's probably not enough. So looking at their facility that they're manufacturing, how they're manufacturing, are they using like Clothing is a really big example. Um, it is something that I've really been trying to educate myself on recently. You know, how much water is used? How many chemicals? Where is their ingredients coming from? You know, if it's cotton, how is it being grown? Uh, and how are they sourcing it? Um, a lot of times as well, companies that have a sustainability focus will also have a, a good kind of ethical business practices. And so seeing that as well as a good indication of, you know, do they treat their employees right? Uh, do they do they compensate them fairly? What are their hours like? Um, and so kind of looking at that and understanding as well, what actions, you know, in stores, um, you know, transportation, delivery, shipping, just trying to really think about every aspect of the business and see how they're doing things that are going to help benefit the planet and, and make a positive impact rather than just, we use recycled materials um, doesn't really do a lot. And Last it doesn't time really I looked at you your much. website, I saw interesting marketing statistics about, say, for every X grams of algae we grow, we take out X grams of CO2. And while that's interesting by itself, I was wondering if that's something you have to do. Do you have to check in with your suppliers and have them send you those figures or? Yeah, so that's something. So with the spirulina specifically, that's just kind of a known fact about spirulina um, because of how it's produced and how it grows. Um, with our other suppliers, that is something that we have to kind of go through and we have to vet them and make sure um, and do that traceability uh, to say, you know, 
what are your business practices? How are you producing? How are you growing? Um, so I think one thing that we'd like to do kind of post COVID, um, and it's, it's hard as a small business too, and there's only two of us. So to be managing everything, just the two of us, it's already a lot. But one thing we'd like to do is actually go to the places where the production is happening, where to what the facilities, to the factories, um, and actually go and see them and see what it's like. Um, and really make sure that we're able to see, you know, are you telling us the truth? Are you actually saying and doing what you're telling us and what you're telling your other customers? Because for us, just that whole supply chain um, and that transparency is very important. Kind of backing up a bit. Um, I also remember reading about uh, that you wished that you picked a target demographic sooner. Um, so how exactly did you choose which target demographic you wanted to market towards? Yeah, so when we started algae, um, we really needed to, this is because this algae-based food product is such a novel idea uh, and no one's really doing anything. We needed to first actually see, you know, would anybody even be interested in this? Not like who specifically, but would anybody be? Um, and so we just were in our kitchen, we made everything and every kind of food product we could think of that we could incorporate spirulina into um, and brought it to farmer's markets and just started talking to people um, and you know, getting their feedback on the product, also learning a little bit more about them and seeing, you know, is this something you're interested in? How would it fit into your life? So in just us actually validating our in, entire business idea at the beginning, we were able to start to understand who, what different segments of people would, would be interested in this product, what jobs they would use it for. And from there, for us, we were able to kind of identify five different, diff completely different groups of people who would benefit from it. And then from there, we, we really started to dive into each one and say, like, where do we think is a good place to start? because you want that first group, that first group is so key to the, your adoption. And if they don't adopt, no one will adopt. So you really wanna pick a group that you think, you know, needs to be a good size that you can actually sell to them and, and make money off of them. But uh, really diving in and, and doing a lot of customer interviews, doing a lot of online listening, um, doing a lot of just like looking at trends and what people are interested in to really identify who that key segment is. Would you mind going into that with a little more detail? Maybe give an example of how you went about that. I know that customers are very complicated and it feels like sometimes the people who are most available, uh, their validation just feels the strongest and you may even default to picking that customer. Which sites should you go on to look into these customers? Yeah, well, so for us, um, one of our kind of group that we identified was actually people who are 60 and older um, and who are doing it because as you age, you need, to, you need to eat just as many, if not more minerals and nutrients, but you actually eat less food just because you don't need as much food. Um, and so we were like this, for them, a lot of the key things that we were seeing is like, this is a great way to get, because spirulina is so nutrient rich, to be able to get a lot of nutrients really quickly and in, in less kind of having to consume less. But for us, um, well, that was a great market. As we kind of started talking to more people, like we were at a farmer's market and at farmer's markets, you typically attract a certain kind of health conscious, local, like they care about local um, kind of group. And as we started realizing like one, we didn't have a lot of people in our lives 
who were fit into that category and who were would be interested in spirulina. So we one just kind of got to a point where we we're like, we don't even know who to go talk to anymore because you know they're not on Facebook, they're not on wherever um, that you can just very easily go talk to them. So that for us was one reason, you know, for example, why we didn't pursue um, a segment. Um, the, and one place that so and then kind of trying to narrow down, you know, the remaining four segments that we had. Um, we just did a lot of like, we would post questions in different Facebook groups. Um, we would look at, um, you know, what like health influencers on Instagram and take kind of certain posts and read comments and see what people were thinking, really to just get an, an idea of, of what people are looking for, what jobs they need to be done to be able to identify how we could best fit in if is this a large enough group is this a group that we feel like we can target because I think it's important you know you don't need to be your perfect ideal initial beachhead customer but you need to be able to understand their thought process and be able to understand why they're doing what they're doing um and so if there was a group that was like completely out there from us like we didn't necessarily want that to be our initial market because we don't know anything about them um so and then from there seeing as well um you know, we ended up focusing on endurance athletes. So looking on different blogs and different threads um, about endurance athletes and nutrition and, and doing things like that to really get that initial background research and kind of see where the trends are. And then from there, we were able to start, I would say, start within your own circle, target, talk to those people, and then ask them if they have friends and just kind of grow out from there um, is kind of the approach we took. How do you remember all of that right now? This sounds like something that you reflect on pretty frequently. Is that is that the case? Yeah, I just, it, it really was kind of part of our whole entrepreneurial journey and, and how we got to where we are. Well, my own entrepreneurial journey and just kind of how our business evolved. That was for us such a key piece. Um, and we spent a lot of time on it. So it was a very significant amount of time and, and a significant kind of event if you could call it that. Um, so yeah, it's like our, it's like our origin story, you know? Yeah. I think for myself, it feels like one crazy hectic project after another, and it can be hard to distinguish the details. So I admire you being able to speak so, so precisely about it. Yeah, I think, and, and when you're kind of in it, um, and definitely when I was at that stage and you're really in it, you don't really see that. But as I reflect back, I can kind of see different phases of different priorities and how our company kind of moved on from kind of the discovery stage onto the like prototyping stage. And yeah, when you're in the moment, you definitely don't feel it and you definitely don't see it. But reflecting back, I can kind of not reflect on these periods that happened. When you decided to start this project, did you have, did you make an entire spreadsheet about where you wanted it to go and how you wanted to get there? Or did you just kind of wing it? <laughs> That's some people would say. Um, we, we really just winged it, wung it. Um, <laughs> we, we had this idea and we, we had the summer to work on it. We started out of an innovation program. So we had the summer to work on it. Um, we didn't know if it was going to go past the summer or not. Uh, we just want, yeah, no, see how the summer went. And we got enough traction and enough kind of next steps to move on into the fall. And then from the fall, again, continuing to get that traction, that validation that we can just continue to move on. And I think for us, 
we actually didn't. So we have an, an energy bar. Uh, it's called the impact bar. But we actually wanted to start with ramen noodles um, because we thought there's a ton of nutrients in spirulina, you know, starving university students eating on a budget, eat ramen noodles, and there's absolutely no nutritional value in them. If we can combine those, like that's a great idea. Um, the problem was we don't have any food background um, besides, you know, eating ourselves. So we didn't know how to, we could make the ramen noodles and like eat them right away. But we tried to like freeze them and like slow dry them and dehydrate them. And it just like, it didn't work. Um, we were like, we don't know what we're doing. And they were like, hey, well, we need a food scientist now. But then we would go to farmer's markets and realize like people didn't really want that. Like they were like, you know, I love this idea. I've never heard of spirulina before. I don't know that I want to commit to an entire bowl of ramen noodles made with spirulina. Like I'm okay with a snack, but I'm not okay with the meal yet. And so that's really one helped us to figure out what product to pursue. Um, yeah, that really helped us figure out what product to do. And I forgot the question. I forgot where it was going. Oh, how we were going to get there. Um, so for us, it was, we're going to start with the bar and we're going to go from there. And, you know, we wanted for us, because we actually didn't want to start with the bar um, and the mar bar market is so competitive that we were really focusing on, you know, this is our introductory product and we can go from there. Um, we don't necessarily know what those next products are going to be. Um, we have some ideas, but again, a lot of kind of discovery will need to happen. Um, and I think for us, just for us, like right now, where we're at right now, kind of our ultimate like big, hairy, audacious goal is to carve out on that Canada health food guidelines for, for algae products, which is super huge, scary goal. But we didn't just like wake up one day and think about that. That was just kind of, it just kind of evolved as we continued to grow and we continued to work on our business. Um, we kind of had this very big idea of what we wanted to do. And as we were continuing to work on it, we were able to refine it a little bit more to reflect our goals as, as individuals and our kind of values as individuals and how that reflected into the company and what we wanted to accomplish. Kind of a uh, personal story with, with ramen is my dad, whenever we have a meal, he'll say, who's ready for some incalculable nutrition? Um, <laughs> but whenever it's ramen, he says, who's ready for some calculable nutrition? <laughs> Which I just think is kind of funny. Um, and it reminded me of that. Absolutely. Yeah. Well, yeah, there's like nothing in it. So <laughs> it makes sense. Mm -hmm. So what, what four skills do you think would be invaluable for entrepreneurs to have because you have a sort of interesting story because what I what I always hear is uh, they plan everything out as much as they can and I'm not good at that and I know many other people aren't good at that um, so I'm, I'm interested in uh, hearing what you think about that yeah so I think like well, I'm not saying we didn't have a plan um, we didn't have a long-term plan I will say that we kind of knew where we wanted to go and we didn't know where specifically that was, but we, we kind of knew, you know, in the next month, in the next six months, in the next year, even this is kind of where we wanted to go. So that was kind of how we built it. And, and now that we've continued to work on it, and it is something that, you know, we've gotten past the first summer, we've gotten past the first year, and it is something we want to work on. We really focused and sat down and it, it is hard to, to think, to plan and think with that. But 
I would say like between myself and my business partner, Devin, um, I am the planner. I'm the organizer. I like lists. I like everything organized. And he is very like, let's do this. Let's do this. Let's go here. Let's do this. And it together, we work really well because I would spend all of my time planning and get nothing done. And he would have no plan and would also get nothing done because he's just jumping from from project to project and not finishing anything. So together we work. Um, so in, in a business partner, I would say having complementary skills is, is a good thing. Um, but I would just say in general for, for an entrepreneur, um, wow, okay, um, perseverance um, because it is a long and often lonely road um, and you know, you'll feel alone, you'll feel like no one gets it um, and you'll feel like, there's, there's like weeks go by and I feel like nothing's happened. And then miraculously 17 things go right. And you're like, why? <laughs> like, why couldn't, why did you like it? And it's because you spent so long working with no results and getting that. So that perseverance and that kind of determination to continue pushing on is definitely one I would say. Um, I would say you need to have some kind of conviction in yourself and your idea um, and kind of believe in, in yourself and, and that you're able to to make it happen because if you don't believe in your your vision and your company and your product or service no one else will you seem like a very aware person of how people perceive you in the entrepreneurial community especially being a student and i know you talked about how so many people were willing to help you and you just had to learn to ask so when you were in those moments where it felt like you weren't getting results for a really long time, how like how did you try to get out of that hole? Did you talk to mentors? Did you sit down to do personal reflection? Are there any specific strategies that you would recommend? Um, yeah, I think I think having a community, I've really learned even in the past like two months how important that is. Um, as I mentioned earlier, like entrepreneurship is, it can be very lonely. Like I talk to my friends and my friends are very supportive, but they have no idea what I go through every day. They have no idea. You know, they, they'll tell me they'll be, they're, they'll be busy because they have two assignments to do. And I'm like, oh, well, I have two assignments plus 17 other things to do for my business. And they just don't get it. And so in that regard, it's, it's very lonely because, because, you know, the people you've surrounded yourself with, you know, normally, at least for me, none of my friends before I started this were in entrepreneurship or really got it. Um, and so having that community of entrepreneurs and of people you can rely on, I, I obviously talk to Devin all the time and we, we, we complain to each other about everything and, and, but also celebrate things together as well because I think that's so important. Um, but we've been a part of a few different um, accelerator programs and different cohorts and we were part of one in the fall actually and um, part of LOI in the fall, would recommend for anyone at any stage, check them out, great resource. And we stopped and LOI was such a supportive and welcoming community. And, you know, it was people, it's for people under 25. So it was, people were in our situation and they just got it. And then we stopped LOI and, you know, we would go from having a one hour session every single day, plus weekly meetups to nothing. And, it wasn't so much the the stopping like I, of course you notice that you have you know you have more time because you're not in these sessions all the time but we actually started a new program um in march and being a part of that program and just re-entering that community and again this was not 
this was actually a lot of older people and we were the youngest people in the cohort by, by a lot. But seeing having that community of people to just t- talk to, it was so like eye-opening about just how important that sense of community is because I was like, okay, people get it again. And when I complain about this or I talk about how this is not going my way, you know, they get it. And they're not, you know, that kind of a little bit of that toxic positivity of like, oh, it'll get better. They're like, yeah, I know it sucks, but you know, this is how I got through it or whatever. So having that network and that community, huge. Um, And yeah, I really started to rely on um, other people in that sense as well. But then kind of in addition to to that is um, really trying to get more self-aware actually, Um, because I don't think I am that self-aware or not as much as I'd like to be. I'm really understanding, you know, this is how I'm feeling right now. Why am I feeling that way? Letting myself feel that way because it's okay. And you know, maybe I do talk to someone, maybe I just sit in my feelings for a little bit and understand. Um, And I'm a very, as I said, I'm a very like action oriented, like list person. So this is how I'm feeling. And we dwell on that for a second. And then we say, okay, this is what we're going to do. Or, you know what, maybe there's nothing I can do right now. But in a week, when I'm finished XYZ, and we get this result, then I will feel better. And that, even though it doesn't kind of lift me out of that, having that sense of like okay well if I just keep working and and you know this happens which I know it will happen then then it's good and we just keep pushing through I know it's easy to when something goes right to want to go and move on to the next thing and not celebrate or forget to celebrate and I think that's a very important lesson to learn to learn how to celebrate yeah that's actually something that I've implemented in our kind of we have weekly in our weekly kind of or way the way our week works I've kind of started implementing that because we actually won um the Miguel Dobson cup uh at the end of of March I think is the end of March I don't know the days all blur but we won that award and we were so happy this was a huge accomplishment for us um it's something that you know really showed because we had participated the year before didn't even make it to the final so it really showed kind of our growth to not only make it to the finals but to actually win it and we celebrated that night and then the next morning, there was like not even a talk about it. It was like, okay, what are you doing today? Um, this is what I'm working on. And so, and I think it, it's good because it shows, you know, we we don't just like settle on our, like when we have a win, we don't just settle. We, we want to keep pushing. But at the same time, if you don't celebrate those wins, you're not, and this is, I'm like very much learning this right now. This is where, you know, it feels like nothing's happening and no progress is being made because you didn't even celebrate any of the progress that you made. So of course you don't think anything's happening. Thank you, Alessandra, again, for joining us on How I Fixed It. We appreciate you taking the time to share your insights with us. In particular, learning more about your company, Algae, how you are navigating sustainability, and how we, as consumers, can also navigate those same issues. It was very helpful. Thank you, and we'll see you on our next episode of How I Fixed It.